Picture the intersecting golden arches, a bite taken out of a two-dimensional apple, and a silver three-pointed star. Just mentioning these logos brings up memories and makes you feel a certain way. But this fame didn't always exist for these companies. They started from nothing and were gradually built into icons. On this podcast, we'll deep dive into the creation and branding of the small businesses we here at Alabrije work with in an effort to understand how successful brands are built from the ground up. What started as only a dream could turn into a legacy. This is Brand Before Icon by Alabrije. In this episode, I got to sit down with Alabrije's founder and CEO, Brian Nieto, to tell the story of how Alabrije came to be. At an early age, Brian fell in love with design, and he noticed a big problem in the Latino business community. Brian believed that one of the best solutions to address this problem lied in design. This passion, this solution, would later go on to become Alabrije. Now, Brian's path wasn't all linear. He started with internships and was eventually working in nine to five. It wasn't until the height of the pandemic that Brian chose to set out, take a risk, and completely dive headfirst into being a full-time entrepreneur and CEO. Now Brian hopes that by sharing his story, he can inspire young creatives who were once in his shoes and transform the businesses he works with by providing excellent design and marketing services. This is the Alabrije story on Brands Before Icons. We've had Brian on before, but here's a quick intro just to refresh you. Hi, my name is Brian Nieto, and I am one of the founders of Alabrije Agency. Alabrije is a brand and strategy firm that collaborates with business owners, nonprofits, and government agencies. Our services focus on brand identity, marketing campaigns, and website design. Our mission is to employ creatives seeking financial security and invest in ideas that promote economic opportunity. The story starts in Brian's childhood, where he first encountered a passion for design. When you're a kid and you're sitting in the back of a car, um, you're looking out, right? And your perspective at that point is you could just see like the signs that businesses have. And I remember just like being able to kind of say, oh, this is a good design. This is a bad design. And I specifically have this um, memory of uh, me sitting in the back of the car and just being able to kind of like look out the window and seeing all the signs that uh, businesses have. And at an early age, I was able to kind of identify what was like what's good design and what's not, uh, specifically with fonts. And I started realizing that like um, a lot of Latino businesses, they didn't have good design. They didn't have like it was just very, very roughly put together. Um, and I'm like, oh, what's the difference between like this, like what makes this design good and what makes that design bad? And that's kind of like one of the first, the earliest memories I have of design in. Mm. Um, that's the first inclination that I had of like, huh, maybe you should look into graphic design. What are some, just maybe off the top of your head, what are a couple logos that stood out to you as a kid? Like, do you have any ones that you're like, yeah, that's fire or like. Toys R Us. <laughs> Toys R Us. <laughs> no. Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, Maybe not even as a kid. Maybe now. Like, I do, there... actually. Oh, okay. So th this is actually a, a, a kind of a crazy story. Keep in mind for this next story that Brian was a little kid who had just immigrated from Mexico, and he did not know any better. And there's no way he could have known. So uh, I was born in Mexico, right? And um, <clears throat> when we first got to, to schools here, I was like, okay, great. Uh, I was at the library, right? And um, I, I saw this book, and it had a really, what I thought was like a cool design, right? So anyways, I like trace it. I used to trace a lot. And uh, I go, I was in like second grade at the time and I go home and I was, uh, and I uh, was going to show my brother this logo that I created supposedly, right? Because <laughs> I traced <laughs> it, right? Um, but it ended up being the swastika logo. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know what that meant. Oh God. Right? So, <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, that's, that's actually one of the first logos that I, um, I was able to kind of like identify. And then my brother's like, no, don't be drawing that. Right. And I'm like, well, why not? It's kind of cool. Right. He's like, no, no, no. And then that's when he started explaining to me. And I obviously as a kid, you don't really understand. Yeah. It's like, just a and, shape. Yeah. And then also who has a, that type of book in, uh, in an elementary school? Yeah. Like in their library. <laughs> what's that can do in there? Yeah. But that's one of the earliest logos that okay. I remember. <laughs> wow. That's hilarious. Yeah. And the, I mean, that's also one of the, the, you know, uh, to speak on the power that branding has and insignias, right. Mm -hmm. Um, that, 
um, how how certain organization organizations use it to uh, symbolize yeah. and uh, make a position their agenda in your mind. You know. Yeah, it's crazy that like 60, 70, 80 years later, we can still see that symbol and there's just so much baggage attached to it. Like there's so much meaning and history and emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like ideally as someone who's in your line of work, who's creating these logos, you want to have that kind of power with your work. Mm-hmm. Obviously not for the same agenda, <laughs> but uh yeah, all we need is new customers now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you were you're you know you're noticing like a lot of Latino businesses they're not having logos that are up to par. Um, you said they're kind of bad. Could you go into that a little more? Like, what about them where you're like, this is not good? Um, I wasn't able to kind of um put words into that at the time. At the time, uh, but now I could tell you why. Um, and essentially is it's representation, right? Um, I think that a lot of the times when I saw, uh, like a Mexican restaurant, it was often, um, it was often the goofy cartoons Mm -hmm. that would be outside the doors. Right. And, uh, it started, uh, it started bothering me, um, that, Mexico has a huge, huge heritage of design and culture. And for our culture, our businesses to be represented with these vector-like goofy cartoons was, to me, it just didn't sit right. Um, And I was like, okay, well, what are you going to do about it, right? Uh, And then that's kind of when I'm like, I started thinking a little bit about Alebrije. And I'm like, well, you know, I know how to design. so let me start trying to talk to some business owners and see what um, what I could do to help them out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What did design look like for you when you were that young? Like, were you drawing? Like you said you you were tracing a logo earlier. Like, what was your journey to getting to like the crazy like digital yeah. design tools you have now? Yeah, if um if there's any uh, young designers that are listening to this, you do not n- need to know how to draw. Uh, I think that's okay. One of, yeah, uh, one of the biggest misconceptions about design is that you need to have an artistic ability Mm. uh, when I believe that, oh, don't get me wrong, an artistic ability helps you so, so much in in design, but design is a lot of rules and structure Mm. versus art is, you know, creating and innovating. Um, So I didn't have um, drawing skills, which really, uh, you know, put me down. And like, that's why I would practice drawing because I was like, okay, I need to know how to draw before I could become a designer. And that actually helped me back for a few years because I would try to create a logo and I was really good at take, uh, I bought like these uh, tracing paper Mm. and I would take elements of uh, different pictures that I would see and then I would lay it on top of one another and then kind of like move things around to kind of get what I wanted and then trace over that. To get your final, Mm -hmm. nice, nice, okay. Wow. Um, That... I mean, that's a little surprising to me to hear. Like, I always assume that to create logos and whatever, you have to have like this super artistic ability. Um, You said it's more rules and structure. Mm -hmm. When did you start to like put aside drawing and lean into like, oh, there's conventions to this. There's there's rules, there's structure. When did you start moving towards that direction? About a year ago. Um, Really? Yeah. So uh, when I first started uh, Alebrije, right? Because at the end of the day, Alebrije is a, it's a business. Um, mm-hmm. and you can't wait for inspiration to hit you. Um, right. So that's really when I started documenting my work. And after enough, um, repetitions and you start understanding that there's a pattern, right? Uh, there's a structure to the creative process. There are things that you could do to kind of execute whatever idea that you have, right? At the end of the day, creativity is the practice of executing ideas. Mm. Um, so that's really when I was like, okay, about a year ago, uh, I started really falling in love with what makes uh, an efficient designer. Okay. Mm-hmm. What makes an efficient designer? And that's when we, I, you know, I took an, ex- an Excel sheet, started writing down every step that we that we did. And that's when I started seeing the patterns. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, you could do, you. there's these steps in common, no matter the client, no matter the, the yeah, the client that you're designing for. 
uh, there are always certain steps that you need to take. Now, was this a, a trial and error process? Are you just, you know, just figuring this out by doing it? Was there anybody you learned from? How did you kind of learn these steps and begin to realize like, okay, there's a pattern and a process to this? When you have to pay a creative director. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, because uh, <laughs> you, when you're trying to say, uh, you know, when you're trying to get somebody else to, to do a certain task, um, you know, you can't, you got to give them a little bit of direction. Yeah. And I think that uh, Alexis, our creative director, kind of was a, a, a huge help to me to understanding that you can't just go in there blindly all the time. Mm. So uh, it was nice to hear that we kind of started understanding uh, each step that we do. And then she she's a really good designer. So she would be able to execute the whatever it is that we were trying to do. Mm. So those you needed to come up with those conventions and those like set of steps so that you could lead other people, it sounds like, and have them follow this path yeah. to consistently turn out good work. Correct. Yeah. And uh, one of the thing one of the things that we're doing right now, and I think is very underrated and is uh, the documentation of work. Um, right now, we we spend about a week or so uh, designing manuals uh, because we have an, uh, an internship program, too. And uh, whenever when a new designer comes in, they come in with a certain the same types of questions. Um, and in order to address those questions, we created like a, a manual and this manual mm -hmm. helps you pretty much design uh, logos for anybody. It's it's a it's a process. Now, I, I feel like there's still a bit of a gap between. Like if we're following you up to this point, you kind of have this epiphany as a child where you're like, some of these logos are hot, some of these are not. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you have this journey with drawing and then eventually goes into more of like, okay, I can follow these conventions and, and learn these rules and styles to still create this art. Um, when, at what point is Alibrije like a thought in your mind? Like at what point are you kind of starting to think about that? So um, Alibrije, before it was in a, a, a marketing agency, uh, I wanted to open up a restaurant. No, okay, no. so this is like dream number one. Well, yes. So before, uh, I'll tell you the exact moment, right? So um, in high school, uh, we take those uh, altitude tests to tell you what career you should be in, right? Sure, sure. For whatever reason, my two options were you could either be a chef or you could be a graphic designer, right? What? <laughs> yeah. Are you for real? Yeah. So um, I, I I come from... Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of my family members are in the restaurant industry, mm. so uh, some of them are chefs. And uh, obviously, I was like, okay, I I would love to be a chef. But when I started looking a little looking a little more into it, I was like, well, graphic design is something that I think I may, will make more money, right? So fast mm. forward, um, you know, went to school, started designing, got a job, and um, after a while of designing, I was like, you know what, I want to open up a restaurant. And that's when uh, I was like, okay, what are the names for the restaurants that I would um, that I would consider, right? And uh, my brother, my sister, and I. Um, my brother's name Alan. My name is Brian, and my sister's name is Jackie, right? So like, my brother at an earlier age had mentioned to me Alebrije, right? And I was like, oh, it's kind of like a combination of all three names. It has the yeah the the first letters of each name. Yeah, and uh, we looked it up, and, and it ended up being like a whole thing. You know, it's a style of art of Mexican folk art. Do you, so, wait, are you are you telling me that you didn't realize an Alebrije was like correct part of Mexican folklore before you came up with his name? Correct. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but um, so the name stuck. The name stuck, and um, at, at the time I was like, I wanted to open up a Alebrije restaurant. Okay. So then I started internship, intern, uh, doing internships for kitchens and uh, apprenticeships for like a butcher shop and stuff like oh, that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was really As like a cook or yeah. like, what are you learning? Okay. Yeah. 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 I wanted to learn what it takes to run a kitchen. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the deeper I got, I, I started talking to chefs and uh, restaurant owners and staff and they all wanted to open up a restaurant. Right. So I was like, where are they going wrong? Mm. So that's when I pivoted and I was like, okay, well, I know design. I know marketing. Let me start off with the website, right? Okay. And um, at the time, it was it was around 2020 when my brother was also trying to do uh, a cocktail delivery service. So he had me design his website, his branding, all of that, right? And I'm like, if I could help my brother, I could help many other restaurants. So let me start off with the marketing side of um, of a restaurant, and like that, 
I could build my skills and then the rest will take it. Uh, the rest will take care of itself. So my goal is to still end up uh, running a restaurant. Okay. But the perspective is very different. Now. Like sure. Now I know I'm not going to set foot in that kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'll find someone for that. Correct. So, wow. so I'll be here really did start from the idea of wanting to help restaurant owners. Okay. With their design and branding and marketing. You said a, a quick little phrase, but I want to kind of like go back to it. Um, you said that a lot of the coworkers and, and mentors and people you came across had this dream of having their own place, but they were going wrong. And that kind of, it sounds like caused you to pivot more to the marketing and design side of things. Can you go into that a little further? Like, are you, are you saying they're going wrong and how they're marketing their business or are there other aspects to it? Well, they, when I was talking to them, they all needed one thing, which was money, right? right I want to open up right. my restaurant and it's money. So uh, something that I didn't mention yet is so uh, after um, um, after studying, I went to work at this uh, this place. It was a political place. Okay. Right? And all we did was political uh, branding, marketing, a bunch of stuff. Right. But with that also came seeing big budgets, large budgets and um, being able to kind of see what a $50,000 campaign could do for in an organization yeah, is massive. Right. So <clears throat> when I was talking to them they're like, okay, I want to open up a business. I want to open up a business. Like, Oh, what are you missing? It's like, Oh, capital, capital, capital. Right. So then I'm like, Hmm, working your way to open up a restaurant is extremely long. And yeah, everybody that I would talk to, they would want to open up their own business. They had been in the industry for decades. And, right. um, that's why I was like, okay, not that they were going wrong. Cause some of them, you know, they, they have, they had money, but they also lacked a lot of knowledge in running a business. Mm. So that also played into the factor into me pivoting because I was like, well, I could learn certain business lessons without having to open up a restaurant right away. Right. Start a different business, start your design business. You're still learning those business lessons. Mm -hmm. Not everything's going to apply, but I'm sure a lot of stuff will. Um, Wow. Interesting. You have this weird or not weird, but just like interesting paradox where it's like, I feel like most of the time the creativity shapes the business. Whereas for you, it sounds more like the business aspects of what you do more shaped the creativity. Um, yeah. And I think, um, I have a, uh, I have a huge issue with the education that we get as uh artists. Okay. I, I shouldn't say artists, but as uh, graphic designers, because they never teach you the business side of design, right? Luckily now with the internet, um, we, I, I ran into a, uh, um, a YouTube channel called, uh, back then it was called the school, but now it's called the, the future with Chris Doe. Yeah. And his whole mission is to teach the business side of design. Right. Uh, so often people ask me like, Oh, where'd you go to school? I was like, I don't like saying my college name. Um, but I say, Oh, I was, you know, YouTube, YouTube <laughs> University. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like to give all my education. Uh, I like to give credit for all my education to like uh, Chris Doe, Chris Doe, because and the content he puts out and yeah, and, uh, not just him, but there. I think that YouTube is extremely underrated at the time, like back in like 2010, it was extremely underrated. But that's what I would only use YouTube for uh, Photoshop tutorials, um, you know, just learning from other designers. Wow. Mm -hmm. that's awesome and i get that i mean this this podcast stuff that we're doing same thing i learned through youtube i learned to listen to other podcasts i learned through some tutorials and you know software manuals it's crazy the amount that you can learn right now like this opportunity we have if you just want to if you just go look for it you don't need that thousands of dollars of school correct and i think that's one of the main reasons why uh like alebri his mission kind of um it you know, it evolved. And uh, right now I'm very clear in what our mission is. And essentially we want to employ creatives that are seeking financial security, right? Because you would be surprised how many graphic designers are not practicing what they're, what they learn. Right. Great graphic designers, because they don't teach you how to properly price creativity. Mm. They don't. Um, so that's why I'll be here. Uh, uh, um, like, it started off as wanting to do a lot of creative work, but 
I realized that if I really want to make an impact, then I need to really, really hone in into my skills as a, as a leader, as a CEO and focus on the boring stuff. Yeah. You know, so that's why, um, a creative director, she, she gets to do the designing and she's great at it. She's 10 times better than me, but we're still a business. One of my favorite quotes is from, um, Walt Disney. And he's like, we don't make movies to make money. We make money to continue making movies. Yeah. Wow. So just to do a little catch up once again, we're, um, we're basically talking like you have this, this internship at the, um, someone's campaign, right? Like some candidates campaign. Um, and then you start to realize like, oh, I can pivot to doing this graphic design as a business, this, this marketing. Um, it's amazing that it, so it sounds like your brother's cocktail delivery service. That's like your first shot at this, right? That's like your playground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was the first time that I got to help another business owner. Right. Um, because it, um, he needed to move fast. Okay. It was 2020. Uh, luckily the business concept that was already there prior to all of that. Yeah. Um, and some of the brand elements were already there, like the logo and stuff like that, but, but everybody's stuck at home. Mm-hmm. Like the timeliness of it is like a delivery service. Isn't going to be as necessary yeah. in two years as it is now. Yeah. And I gave myself the title of, uh, um, systems operator. Because, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, although it was designed, yes, the execution was like designed with through graphics, but it was a big part of understanding what his systems needed to be, what, how the ordering process was going to look like. Uh, so a little bit of UI UX, <laughs> yeah. but it, it essentially, you know, systems, uh, how do they order, uh, getting those, uh, those systems put together and executing a whole, um, ordering cycle for them. Wow. So you, you had a lot more than a design role in that then, cause you were actually helping him like set up the business and, uh, yeah, I think we, I think uh, all entrepreneurs that you know have uh, some years in, in a million hats. In, yeah, they, we wear a million hats. Uh, but actually, well, I do want to correct you. Uh, it wasn't an internship that I was in. And it's, oh, it's impo- okay. Yeah, it's important because it, it plays a huge role into my insight of uh, the political world, in, sure. especially in Chicago. Uh, so it wasn't an internship; it was a full job. Oh, okay. And, yeah, Sorry and, about I, that. and I, I was working a lot with campaign managers. So like the Bernie Sanders campaign, the J.B. Prisco oh, campaign. Oh, wow. And um, it was a lot. And that's why I was like, it was a very unique insight that I got to see. And I would always get to see, you know, like, let, let's say when um, the Obama uh, library was being up for, um, for like, they were trying to decide where they were going to put it. Like, I got to see a lot of the the stuff that you shouldn't see. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So I got to see a lot like of the behind the scenes yeah. of like that decision-making. Yeah. And with the, with that being said, it, it was a lot of something, something that I absolutely hate was all the NDAs we had to sign. Right. And um, when I was trying to leave, I was still under contract, but I couldn't. So the, when, when, um, when I wanted to leave, my contract wasn't up yet. So and you have to fulfill that contract before you can, yeah leave yeah it was it was just uh uh it, it was a little bit separate uh it's just my you know the the company invested a lot in my in my development and they're like okay you need to be here for at least two years kind of like the military it's like mm. if you train for this amount you got to be there like, for your contract <laughs> i wouldn't yeah that's I, a little extreme I, but I like had it easier than the military well right sure. right i mean yeah. i more meant just like yeah. the training and contract requirements but mm-hmm. yeah Hey, what's that little red dot on your forehead? It's like moving around a little bit right in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> no, do I, is it? No, no. Thank oh. <laughs> freaked out. Uh, <coughs> you said too much. Yeah. No, okay. So full so full-time job there. Um man, it sounds like you know, the learning curve for being an entrepreneur must be tremendous. Um I guess not to not to like simplify your entire time working with mix masters your mm-hmm. brother's business but can you name like maybe one of your greatest triumphs like one moment where you're just like oh my god i feel like the shit like this is it i love this and then maybe after that conversely one of the challenges of like should i keep doing this like 
do you, do you have moments in that time? Yeah, I think that uh, when you start experiencing growth as a as a founder, um, because for his business I was technically a co-founder, um, but when you start experiencing growth, uh, I think that you your idea gets solidified, but then you experience growth, <laughs> and you're like running around, um, and you have no time to think, right? Mm. So it was uh, we, we when I say experiencing growth is like getting your getting orders repeated repeated orders right. getting, seeing that money come in and um you know we were having a little bit of success and um we even got uh news coverage from uh, telemundo wow yeah and it, for us it was it was kind of picking up right but that also comes with um one of you know one of the downsides which is kind of like you need capital to grow and um you know and are you not just playing devil's advocate a mm -hmm. little bit are you not making the money? Like as you grow, it seems to make sense to me that you'd be making the money you need to grow while growing or. Well, you, you, you would be right. But, um, <laughs> there's also, you know, uh, the not pricing your product properly. Oh, that's something that's a lesson Oops. that I, uh, that we had to learn. Um, we obviously, you know, when you start off a business, I think a lot of the time we, we start off and we want to give the the best price out there. Sure. But you quickly realize that that's a race to the bottom. And um, that's actually one of my biggest issues right now with other graphic designers. It's like, how much are you charging for a logo? Right. Oh, I'm charging 500, 600 bucks. I was like, well, how much time are you spending on it? Right. Oh, this is and I was like, you're charging too low. Right. And then when they ask me how much I charge for a logo. So I'm very clear about I love talking about money with other graphic designers because it helps our industry. Right. right. You, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. I get it that if you're like a student and you need to work, uh, you could even do it for free. But I much rather you, I much rather do it for free than to underprice it. Um, so right now, our logos start off at like thirty five hundred bucks. Yeah. But, you know, it's not crazy that some of my colleagues are charging ten thousand. Again, it's all about like what you specialize in. And I, but I, I know that my clientele, like a, the restaurant owner, they don't see the value on it yet. So what right. what ends up happening is like, yeah, I'll charge like thirty five hundred bucks um for their logo. But once they see that they love it, they keep us uh, on a retainer for and so far we have a hundred percent client retention rate. <laughs> you keep that that entry price low because they see that work and it ends up being like a long term business relationship. Correct. Through which yeah. you're making money. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally that's totally valid. Right after this part, Brian and I took a little break, stretch our legs and whatnot, uh, but we got right back into it, uh, basically picking up right where he left off. Uh, we had just been talking about how he left his job working on political uh, campaigns, and then he had a brief stint really getting to try out his design and marketing capabilities with his brother's uh, business mix masters. Now we're kind of jumping right in right after that. So you're coming off this full-time job working on different political campaigns. Then you start helping your brother out with Mixed Masters. When did you fully launch yourself into Alibrie? When did Alibrie start? I remember very clearly. Um, we we were quickly outgrowing our space at uh, uh, for Mixed Masters. And I knew that my brother was a, a brand new, fa a, a new father at the time. And uh, I knew that he just needed a little bit more room to work. And I took it upon myself to uh, look for an office space. Um, we found an office space uh, right, in, right next to his uh, apartment downtown. And uh, it was very close to my work too. So I figured I could, you know, do some of the work there and he could have some, uh, some a place to think. Um, so that was around like March, 2021 or so when I officially got the office space. And, um, I wanted to spend time there. Um, I I realized that like my regular job, I mean the 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 political work, it it was good money, and that's what allowed me to kind of uh, uh, invest in the office. And but I realized that like I wasn't uh, I didn't have the heart for that anymore. Um, yeah, it's a super fast paced design, uh, stressful, and I was like, you know what? Like I much rather be doing this instead. So. Uh, around March 2021, I was like, I let my boss know, hey, um, I'm going to be starting a new venture. And here's what's crazy. Right. This, this is when I knew that I was valuable. He got mad. He got real oh. mad. Yeah. He's like, uh, and he threatened my job. Right. He's like, 
oh, so you're thinking about leaving? Uh, blah, blah. He's like, oh, no, no. I told him about the idea that I had going on. I was like, oh, I'm going to open up a, a digital marketing space, right? Because at the time, it also correlated with he wanted me to handle the marketing for that business too. And uh, I told him, I was like, oh, I'm going to be doing this. And he's like, oh, he's like, you, you better be careful because uh, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're, uh, I forgot the words that he used, but essentially he's like, uh, tread softly because you're tread lightly. tread lightly because your job's on the line. Right. Oh, snap. Yeah. I don't like that. You're at like, all. that's all I needed. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was me that I was like, you know what? Like I can't let my livelihood be in the hands of somebody else. Yeah. So I, I, I told that's, him, I was like, you know fair. what? Yeah. I was like, um, it's going to be my last two weeks. Right. The two weeks came up and he offered me a huge raise and, uh, I took it for like a, for like a hot second. Uh, Did you? So you ended up, well, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Don't skip over that. So you, you did take that raise. Yeah. Cause he, he was like, okay, we'll pay you this much. Uh, and you could come in whenever, like these oh, wow. certain, like less, less hours, right? But a lot less hours. Which how is, did that, how did that shake up your, like, did you have any doubt about Alibrihe at that point where you're like, oh, wait, maybe I don't want to do this. Like what's kind of going through your head there? Well, okay. So here's, here's what's fun. Okay. So I told him that I was starting my, my business in December 20, like 28th. Okay. Or something like that. Right. And then we took, uh, and then that's when he threatened my job. He threatened my job right before new year's. Right. Oh, stop. so we had that, that new year's break. And during that break, I was reading, um, never split the difference. Okay. By Chris Voss. Um, so I was like a little negotiator, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, it, um, it gave me the time to kind of say, okay, what is it that I actually want? What am I going to demand? Right. So I demanded less hours, higher pay. And he gave it to me. Wow. Yeah. So then I was, so that's why, so that's why I was like, okay, let me try to do this. And it actually ended up working out fairly well for the additional three months. Um, but then, um, but then I was like, you know what? If I want this to succeed, I have to go full out. And that's when I started just, you know, I said, okay, this is my last day. And I started out every If there's any advice that I would give to anybody that's thinking about quitting their nine to five, there's magic that happens when you make that decision. It, and it cannot be in the middle. You can't try to do both things. You have to take the leap. That's terrifying for a lot of people, right? Because you're, you're losing like stability. You're like your normal schedule. I mean, humans are habitual creatures. You're losing your normal schedule, potentially your regular income. How do you like, what, what, what helps propel you to take that leap? Cause that's scary, right? Yeah. But, uh, so I've never been money driven, never. And, uh, now is my downfall, right? <laughs> but, um, I wasn't money driven. Uh, I was very purpose driven. So, uh, for me to lose out on the steady paycheck, it didn't matter much. Um, my expenses were mad. Everything was okay. Um, and at the time I had, you know, a good chunk of change to say, okay, at least I could, uh, I don't have to make any money for the the next six months at least. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So you did have so, a bit of a cushion there to kind of. Correct. But okay. here's what's funny. And, um, so a lot of that, a lot of my savings were in the, in my uh, stock portfolio. Right. So I ended up losing quite a bit during the, um, just, I think after like the pandemic, there was like a really bad stocks dropped. Yeah. 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 So my savings that I had, that I had planned, they went away real quick. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it, it, it forced me to get business in. It forced me to start seeking clients. Cause it, it's that necessity. It's like, I need money. And I think everybody has different, um, different situations some people could be living with their parents right at the time i had my apartment and everything so uh at least three months of uh of capital uh, set aside for whatever emergency funds so on and so forth right so you want to make the decision uh as smart as possible but you have to make that decision it sounds like to me that we're, we're pretty much caught up with alabrihe right you're what three years in um what are I mean, obviously you're still very much in like a challenging 
period of, of growth for your business. It's still really young. Mm-hmm. If you look at, look, think about it on the long term. Yeah. Um, what do you say are some of your biggest challenges right now? Like what are, what are, what is some adversity you're dealing with in this moment? Yeah. Um, well, when we first started Alebrije, I knew that I wanted to compete with um, the companies that would not hire me. So what does that mean, right? So anybody could have a design studio, but building a Havas, building an Ogilvy, and if you haven't heard of, if you don't know the, those names, is you probably know Coca-Cola, AT&T, SNL. They're the ones that do those types of ads, right? They're those types of uh, marketing campaigns. Wow. Um, so... I wanted to Big build boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't even know their name sometimes, right? Um, and then I remember I was like, man, I really want to work for Leon Burnett. Leon Burnett is like the pinnacle of like branding, right? And uh, they do some amazing work. And I was like, okay, let me apply. And uh, I could, I wasn't getting in. Havas wasn't getting getting back to me. Ogilvy wasn't getting back to me. I was like, okay, well, let me build something that's equally as robust as they are so um one of the biggest challenges that we're still facing right now is systems right um being able to execute high level campaigns that comes with you know that comes with a uh, years and years and years of experience um you know any like with alebrije right now our our structure is we have an account manager and then that account manager relies on the uh, creative director and then that creative director uh, would work with the graphic designer, right? But at Havas or like one of these big uh, agencies, you have um, your account manager, your copywriter, um, your editor, your um, chief of staff helping out uh, schedule assistants and yeah. all these positions. Your assistants for assistants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they essentially is a bigger team. Right. It's a well, well-oiled machine. It's a well-oiled machine, and I think that's kind of uh, our biggest downfall right now uh, is that we don't have the capital to hire the people that we need to consistently execute uh, the work that w- that we're bringing in. Right. Often for me, it's like I have to make the sales, and I also have to do the job and help direct others as well. So that's one of our biggest hurdles right now. So. When you think about these hurdles at the moment, do you have any plans or any strategies for addressing them? I guess in short, like where are you planning on taking out of Brihe in the next three, four, five years? So in 2024, um, we decided to focus strictly on restaurants because one of the things that we realized is that restaurant owners don't necessarily have the capital to be able to um, execute marketing campaigns as they should right so meaning often i'll talk to restaurants restaurant owners and i'll be like okay what's your marketing budget they say what marketing budget <laughs> what marketing budget right we just have the bartender kind of shoot our tiktoks <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're like what you is know? that <laughs> so and, and that's not their fault it's not their fault because uh you know marketing as a whole it, it used to be it's not necessarily as accessible as you would think uh for the past year we have been working with restaurant owners and we realized that there is a, a big problem. And that is obviously that they don't have the time to dedicate to their marketing. They have, they know that they need social media presence, but they don't have the bandwidth and they don't use their data properly. Right. So for those three problems, we started designing an app. The app is called Party. Um, it's in it's going to be in the beta in the beta phase uh, hopefully this week. But essentially, that is this app is designed to be like the liaison of between the restaurant owners and content creators. Um, it's not an influencer tool though. Uh, I think that uh, after talking with enough restaurant owners and chefs, they don't necessarily like influencers they know that they need them but working with them is a whole nother uh whole nother story <laughs> correct yeah. and it's not necessarily uh on the influencer sides right because social media like marketing is not something that's heavily regulated so you call you you can't necessarily call yourself a doctor 
but you can call yourself a marketer, right? So sure. the, the, the regulation is not there. So a lot of the influencers, they're not properly trained on what makes a good marketing campaign, uh, data segmentation, all the stuff that makes marketing powerful, right? So you have two inexperienced people. You have the restaurant owner that has never led a marketing campaign or direct uh, another creator. And you have the creator that is not properly trained. So essentially, we want Alibri Hit to kind of bridge that those gaps um, from the communication side, where it's like restaurant owners, um, they continually have to reach out to influencers, so on and so forth. So the app takes care of that. And then the content side of it too, right? A lot of the times the content creator, um, they go and they have a free meal, but that's not sustainable. They can't build a career uh, off free food. Right. And a lot of the content creators that are really good, they know their worth. And they're charging the prices that they're worth. And because there is so little content creators that actually know um, the power of influencer marketing, they're charging for it. And that's good. That's good. But then you have this this huge gap of like the top content creators that are really good. And they see that they go into a business and it's like magic, right? Like Keith Lee. Like Keith Lee, Keith Lee goes to a restaurant, boom, the next day. Lines up the, exactly <laughs> right so it looks easy but he built a brand he built you know he he's he's a a great marker a great influencer i should say um but anyways um there's that that disconnect between the restaurant that needs a that needs marketing and that young influencer that's just starting their career um so the app essentially is um designed to kind of be the liaison between both of them and we want to uh, pay content creators for their work. I mean, I can see all the benefits of brokering that relationship because it makes restaurant marketing more affordable on the channels that these restaurants are already using while raising the quality. So it's like you're getting better quality for a much affordable price than Alibrije may charge. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, for me, is it's it's a, a big part of where we want Alibrije to focus. I think that... If you're serious about, if we're serious about our mission of employing creatives that are seeking financial security, we need to have a something that's scalable and creativity is extremely hard to scale. Um, so that's what we, we, we decided to kind of put all of our eggs in one basket and that basket is called Parley, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is very interesting because it also taught me about um, the startup culture, right? Um dealing with venture capital, dealing with talking to potential investors. I was even in a, in a pitch competition. Um, so it, it forced me to understand what it takes to get it, uh, somebody to back your idea. Yeah. You know, get, get investors involved. I haven't gotten an investor yet, but well, my, something that I haven't brought up yet is, uh, my uh, co-founder for Alibri Hint, she's a venture capitalist as well. So I have the I have the the perspective that she gives me, and um, I'm very grateful for her because she is the one that kind of encouraged it. You know, like okay, we this is an idea that we could scale. Yeah. So definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the the future of Alibri Hint, and I'm excited to see Parley on the App Store and. To test it out, um, there's, I imagine, I don't imagine, I know that there's a lot of people, young creatives in shoes that you were once in, um, who maybe have a dream, who want to start a business, who want to not be a starving artist, but make some money for what they do. What kind of advice could you offer them? Be patient and do the hard things. Um, I think that. A lot of the times we have this idea of what we want to build and we start off with a good heart and business is tough. <laughs> business is tough and it takes patience. Uh, I think that one of the rules of the game is stay alive long enough to see yourself get lucky. And a lot of the times what we end up doing is we go too fast too early. We don't give ourselves the time to grow in in whatever in, in whatever business that 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 we decide to pursue, right? 
uh, for any young designers that are um, that are thinking about opening up their agency or want to be like a freelancer, know your worth. Um, a lot of the times we're very quick to take work because it's there, but understand that businesses are hiring you to make them look good, to capture their ideas. And that's valuable. If you are a, a, a graphic designer that understands that the designs that you're going to make are going to be their brand identities for 5, 10, 15 years, do not sell a logo for 500 bucks, right? Um, know your worth, understand pricing, and understand the difference between value pricing and hourly pricing. I think that that's one of the biggest lessons that I learned is value-based pricing. Also, read Win Without Pitching Manifesto by Blair Anz. Um, That's one of the books that really, really shaped Alibrihim. Until this day, everybody that comes to Alibrihim, that's the one book that I have them read. Um, There's 12 proclamations. And those are the 12 proclamations that have been like, I wouldn't change anything about them. Like I, I always like to edit, but th- that, that book is really how I run Alibrihe. I'm going to finish this off with one last question. If you could write Alibrihe's obituary, how would you want your work and your company to be remembered? I think definitely by our values. Um, the, our values are a, the pillars of our culture. And if you look at our logo, uh, there's five words, uh, yeah, there's five words written and, uh, those are mastery, prestige, team, wealth, and empathy. And essentially to keep it short, mastery is your craft, whatever skill that you want to pursue be a master at it. That's whether you're a photographer, writer, chef, whatever it is, be a master at it. Prestige. Prestige often gets confused with like a luxurious thing, but prestige essentially means that other people hold hold you to a high standard. Then team. Any Anybody knows that... Uh, with a strong team, you could accomplish many, many things. With a weak team, with a weak team, you're not gonna get very far. I'm big on that quote that goes: "If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others." And for me, I want to go far, very far. So I need a strong team, and I continuously invest in 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 the team that, even though it's small, but I continuously invest in Alberica's team. And then we have wealth. Uh, for me, wealth is not financial. For me, wealth comes in options. Um, and I want us to, I want the, the creatives at Alibrija to be making, uh, I want the creatives at Alibrija to have options. I don't want them to just work here because that's the only option. It's because they choose to be here. And then it's empathy. Um, what makes us who we are is our high levels of empathy. I think that the job that we do, we continuously have to work with business owners that have amazing ideas and we need to extract that. We need to put ourselves in their shoes and understand their problems from their perspectives. So if Alebrija ever dies, I hope that we remember by our values. Alebrija's story is far from over, but as of this recording, we're all caught up to the present. Brian went from a young designer to an employee working a nine to five before finally diving headfirst into the full-time entrepreneurship that he knew he wanted to do. I think that if you're a creative or you're sitting on a burning idea that you just can't shake, this is your sign to take the leap. It might not be easy, it will sure be scary, but I think you can rest in the fact that it will be more fulfilling when you know that you are living out your purpose 
and well on your way to carving out financial freedom that you deserve. That's it for this episode of Brands Before Icons. Thank you so much for listening this week. As always, if you're a business owner or uh, want to be, I Love Rihe can provide design and marketing services. You know where to find us. Uh, you can go to aloveriheagency.com, book a quick consultation, uh, and we'll get you all taken care of. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.